Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we examine the world through our personal feminist perspectives. As always, we'd like to give the disclaimer that these are our opinions. This is research that we've done on our own, and um, we won't always get everything right. No, we won't. But we will try to do our best. We'll do our best. (laughs) Okay, so um, today's topic I'm actually really excited about. It is the first week of Black History Month, which is one of my favorite months of the year. It's a good one. And we are... I really wanted to start this segment called Feminist Faves or Forgotten Feminist Faves. Today we're kind of doing a little bit of both. And mine isn't necessarily forgotten. There's just information that I never knew. So I feel like like for the uneducated white folk out there like myself, there's a lot of things that I didn't know. New information. There's, oh my God, so much new information. Yeah. Um, I hope this becomes like a regular segment where we talk about our favorite uh, ladies, our favorite heroines of history, either yeah. forgotten or not forgotten. Maybe there's just new um, information out there about yeah, them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's funny. I kind of felt like I was back in like third and fourth grade and doing book reports. My fave. I love it. And I remember once like we had to do... Um, a book report where we had to come in and, like, dress as the characters. I did this two years. And the first year I did Florence Nightingale, who I mm-hmm. still love. And the second year I was Anne Frank. Um, I could do it. I have to do of. Anne Frank at some point because she is my girl. I've been obsessed with that book since I think I was, like, eight years mm-hmm. old. Um, but it was kind of weird dressing up as Anne Frank. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> I had a crush on this boy named Peter in class. Oh. And her, like, boyfriend in the annex was Peter. And so I, like, brushed over the name of the boy that she was like with and then someone asked what was the name and I was like uh uh I don't remember and you totally realized that like you made it way more obvious that you had a crush on Peter by um but they didn't know but they didn't but they didn't know what the name was unless they went home and looked it up we were like (laughs) eight years old what are you gonna do we didn't have Wikipedia back then (laughs) but I just like I just but I just didn't I didn't want there to be any any boy drama you know oh I see (laughs) Okay, it was like calculated. (laughs) No, it was just pure, (laughs) awkward, little Mads panic. Um, But it totally brought me back to that in a good way. So today, you can't see, but I'm dressed as the person. No, I'm not. No, No, my God. (laughs) Madigan, I would kick you out of the (laughs) That would be, well, not, I wouldn't be like racist about it. (laughs) Is that what you were thinking? If you came in my closet in blackface, I'd be like, you need to go home right now. You would have had to fire me from life. My God, I wouldn't, I would not be allowed to do this podcast if I did that. That would have been horrible. No, but I could have worn like, oh, I am wearing glasses. And I did wear a sweater. I see it. A white version. So I'm going first, right? Yeah. I kind of feel like this is my favorite murder and we're choosing... Who goes first? Who goes first, yeah. And um, I'm feeling the pressure. Like, they talk about on that show, like, they, they, they don't... They oh, that they don't want to go... F- well, and also, they don't want to go first because they want to, like, well, calculate one of them likes do. to go first and the other one doesn't like to go first. And I'm totally getting that vibe of, like, I actually, I don't want to go first today because I think it makes more sense for you to go first, mm-hmm. but... 
I think I would like to go first. I always do that in class when I was in college and we had to do presentations. Yeah. I always raised my hand first, and my scene partner would always get so get mad. Get it at over me. with. And a lot of times my scene partner was Chris, and I know, like, Chris would wait for, like, the no. last, or be like, oh, good, we can do it next week. And I'd be like, no, we have to get the shit over with and done with. Yeah. So we can then just you can just kick it, man. Kick it. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So, so I'm going to go first. You, who are you doing this week? I did research on Rosa Parks. Yay! Who isn't necessarily forgotten, but there's, like I said earlier, there's a lot of stuff about her that I really didn't know. Um, All right, talk to me. Tell I'm me. I'm going to talk to you. So she, her name is Rosa Louise McCauley. Uh, before she married Raymond Parks. She was born on February 4th, 1913. She was the granddaughter of slaves. I read that, like, I think her great-great-grandparents were Native American slaves. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I also read that she actually has, like, some Scottish-Irish heritage as well. Like, back there. Well, she's pretty light-skinned. She is pretty light-skinned. So they, they were talking... So she's got kind of a rich ethnic background. Mm-hmm. She's very diverse. Yeah, she was she was the granddaughter of slaves and um, her grandfather was the one that taught her her courage during the wave of racial violence during 1919. Keegan, pour your wine. Sorry, I'm sorry. Pour. No, I'm not. I, All right. I don't I might apologize. as well just make this a thing then. We're going to just go right here. Oh, very nice. It's very so satisfying. Sexy. That's okay. so That's what is that called on when they the sounds on YouTube? The ASMR. ASMR. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't even um, Sorry, go ahead. But anyways, her grandfather would sit on their front porch with a shotgun when the Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan, I can never say that, was walking KKK. through. the When the KKK was walking through. <laughs> and he would he would say, he would tell young Rosa that he dared the Ku Kluxers to come. And he would just sit there with his Damn, shotgun. Damn, that's like, scary right, and right, badass. Right, but like you can see, like as I go further in what she's about, you can see where her, like, defiance and Mm -hmm. bravery came from, Mm -hmm. because if somebody who's, you know, this was her grandfather, she was quite young, she's seeing this person that she looks up to have such defiance and fearlessness Mm -hmm. with people that they're supposed to be scared of, and I think that's really wonderful. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a really awesome way of taking your power back. Totally. You know? So, well, she she really kind of started this, like, activist spirit really, really young. When she was little, she would, like, like, there was a boy who, like, pushed her over when she was on roller skates, and she, like, threatened to beat him up. Like, let me see if I can find... Oh, it says, when a white boy in roller skates tried to push her off the sidewalk, she pushed him back. The boy's mother threatened to have her arrested. And another time, she threatened a young white boy with a brick because he was taunting her. Well, yeah. That's so badass. That's super badass. But what's and funny it's so is, like... scary. I think, like, we need to put it into perspective. I mean, we're talking about Alabama, right? Yes, this is yeah. Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah, Montgomery, Alabama. So we're talking about deep, deep, Jim Crow South. Deep-rooted racism. Right, where you really could be killed or or arrested for Just something. Just for being black, for the littlest thing. Yeah, yeah, you would never do something like that. No, yeah. and that's and that's what I'm saying, that it's amazing mm-hmm. that, like, she had this fearlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, it really speaks to her character. Totally. Yeah. Well, oh, fuck. Okay, so... Um, Sorry, continue. So, and what's funny is, like, they... they 
describe her as, like, even as a child, being, like, very soft-spoken. And, like, that just goes to tell you, like, look out for those soft-spoken ones because they rage the most, for Mm -hmm. sure. Like, I'm really outspoken, and I think that I, you know, rage quite a bit. But, like, those soft-spoken ones, when you get them going, it's like, holy shit. And they're the most unassuming, so you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily anticipate that they're going to be, like, like, they're going to raise hell. Exactly. Like, that goes to show you. It's like those people that watch everything else and calculate things in their mind and then when something reaches ahead they're like fuck this shit okay back to rosa so when she was growing up there was they she wasn't even allowed to ride the bus at all Mm -hmm. she had to walk to school it was the white kids that were able to ride the bus to school so she remembers that being um such a prominent part of her life walking she said "I, i walked a lot in montgomery like she knows those streets very well because she had to when she was at such a young age and then um so it was later in life that she could ride the bus, but there were colored seats only. I put that in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first four rows were for white people, but if more than four rows of white people got on, then the black riders would have to move back as the white people got on. Right. And if they filled all of those seats, they would take over the black seats and the black people would have to get off the bus. Mm-hmm. So this happened a lot where they were, you know, told to get off and had to leave and then had to walk the rest of the way. Although the black bus riders made up 75% of rideship. So it was, it was the, it was that community that was really the people that were helping make the money. They even. needed the public transportation they needed system. It. Well, they needed it, but also it's like the public transportation system really needed them because they were 75%. That's where their mm-hmm. money is coming from. So that, for me, is kind of a mind fuck. but they were, again, deeply um, racist. So in 1931, she met Raymond Parks. He was a politically active barber. Okay. Yes, and he was the first man that Rosa had met that was radical enough to marry. He was very similar to her, where he was interested in the NAACP. He was very active in his community about segregation. He was also very, very involved in the Scottsboro Nine case. And do you know much about that? I know very, very little, so fill me in. I didn't really know anything. I just did, like, a few, like, kind of sidebar bullets on this one. So nine African-American teenagers aged... 13 and 19 were accused of raping two white women on a train in oh, that's right. 1931 okay. in Alabama. Um, I mean, the case was just chock full of racial bullshit. Like, of it was just like, it was, it was all based on lies. They were not given the right of free trial at all. Like, basically, what happened was like a white kid confronted them and wanted them to get off the train, and they kind of like, as a group, stood up for themselves a little bit. And when the train stopped, they called the police and said that they had been that they had attacked them. So they took everybody off or um, they stopped the train and the police came on and talked to everybody that was on the train. And then two women were like, they raped us. And there was like a lynch mob before the suspects had been um, in, in, indicted, indicted, indicted. In, no, it says, is that how it's said? It's I N D I C T E D. Yeah. What the, why is there a fucking T in there? I, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I feel so stupid. Okay, there were all white juries. It was rush trials and disruptive mobs. It was just complete bullshit. They were given really horrible legal representation. Of course. And at the time, if you were a black person accused of rape, the penalty was death. So these boys were all on death row. Well, I mean, and to be quite honest, they're lucky that they weren't already... I mean, when you look at, like, the Emmett Till case... Yeah. Where he got beaten to death 
for something that he Well, he that's didn't the do. thing is that there was there was beating happening, but they weren't actually killed. They were put on they were actually put on death row. Um, but thanks to the NAACP and actually the Communist Party, the case was appealed, but eventually eight were still sentenced to death. And Raymond Parks would bring food to the young men in prison and organized um, protests in their honor. And so this kind of brought Raymond and Rosa Parks into the NAACP a bit. They were a little bit on the fence about it. I think that maybe the communist thing had a little bit to do with that. Really? I don't... I mean, that's... I've read different things from different websites. Mm -hmm. uh, But she wasn't like all on board for it. They thought it was too elitist and cautious. Okay. That... I completely understand. And that's something that we can talk about when we decide to do maybe, like, a colorism episode. Yeah. But the NAACP was incredibly elitist. In certain chapters, they actually wouldn't allow you to join if you couldn't pass the um, paper bag test, mm. which is which Rosa Parks would have passed. I probably wouldn't pass. I don't know. Uh, but basically, if you were darker than a, than a paper bag... You could join. You could not join. What? Yeah. Because that's such bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that the whole point? It's colorism. There were actually churches in in uh, throughout America too, black churches that were. They, but you can't. You can be black, but you can't be too black. You can't be too black, right? Because you're too aggressive, which we'll get into later mm. when we talk about um, about my case. But they were very well, elitist. They also wouldn't allow. people They were really who had, sexist too. Yeah, and they wouldn't allow people who had um, lower. Depending on the chapter, I don't want to make a blanket statement about the NAACP. Right. They did a lot of really amazing stuff, but depending on the chapter, they also wouldn't allow you to uh, join if you didn't have a certain education level. Okay. So, I don't know about the one in Montgomery, so who knows. Right. So, well, at this point, so she, there was a friend that was part of it, so she was like, I'll go. Fuck it. (laughs) Fuck it. I'll go. Fuck it, whatever. In quotes, Rosa Parks. (laughs) So, she was the only woman that was there, and so they were like, you're a woman. Take notes. She was like, okay. And so that's sexist as fuck. It was what, like I 1950? Just wrote, I don't even 1950? know. Something like that. <laughs> I was in the margins. I wrote, what the fuck, Rosa? So the president of the NAACP was Ed Nixon, um, and he was very E-D. sexist. What? I know. E period D period No, Nixon. all of... I, I'm seeing I'm, Ed Nixon I'm on these websites. You. Okay, I'm done. All right, you can keep talking. Okay, I don't know anything. No, no, so, no, no, no. That doesn't mean you don't know anything. <laughs> that's what it comes up as. Ed Nixon, you need Nixon. Okay, so basically, he believes that women's place is in the kitchen. Like, there is, like, lots of sexist quotes about him. Like, he is, like, the OG. Yeah. Well, his name is Edgar Daniel. Edgar Daniel, E.D. Nixon. Okay, well, he's still an Ed. You're right. No, he is still an Ed, Edgar. So, yeah, there. Um, (laughs) Hey, man, listen, it's fine. I'm just letting you know. We went by Edie. Okay. Go ahead. Which sounds like Edie. I know. When I, when I was originally doing my notes, I was like listening to things. And you were looking at Edie? And I wrote up, I wrote E-D-I-E. Yeah. I thought it was Edie. Like like Milton Edie's, the, the laundromat? That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, I, I think, (laughs) I think of Edie Cedric. No, I think of, I think of the pink laundromat on. In Burbank? On Pass Avenue in Burbank. Um, wow, giving them a shout-out. <laughs> Even though they overcharge. <clears throat> Anyways, okay. He was like, you're a woman. You're going to be our secretary. And she actually was their secretary for the next 12 years. 
And she became an advisor for the NAACP Youth Council in Montgomery, Alabama, where she engaged teens to directly challenge segregation in the libraries and write letters to elected officials, which I think is cool because it's something that's like really big today is mm-hmm. writing letters to elected officials. And, and it's something young people can do. So totally. It's a great thing to encourage young Yeah, people, I yeah. think it's great that, she, that it started back then and that it was such a big thing. Um, in 54, when the Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court ruling came down, she marched 23 Afri- African-American students to a white school in town, mm-hmm. uh, which is badass. Mm-hmm. She uh, became a seamstress and turned friends to a couple of white liberals named Clifford and Virginia Durr, who became friends of hers for a really long time. And they encouraged her to go back to school at Highland Folk School in Tennessee, which was integrated and a place for activists to develop this leadership in civil disobedience. And when I say it was integrated, like, it was not completely segregated, but it still wasn't really safe for her to go. So Virginia Durr actually rode the bus and did public I cannot speak today you're good public transportation with her Mm -hmm. to make sure that she got to and from school safely which I think is like good allyship that's wonderful really good because she was like I'm gonna support this woman who I feel needs a higher education this was someone that she worked that worked for her you know what I mean that's using your privilege to the best of your ability yeah I always try and I know you do too actually because I've seen your posts um and I do try to tell people because people get very defensive when you try and tell them that they have privilege and they don't want to acknowledge that but you you can use that right you want to tell them use your power of privilege mm -hmm. for good rather than evil it's not a it's not a slant on your character no it's just saying acknowledge that this is something that you have and then use it for good, for positive exactly. change. Exactly. It's all. it's my it's my privilege superpower to be able to do the right thing for people. Yeah, which is something that that her friend Virginia definitely did for her, mm-hmm. which is great. Now we're gonna get into Claudette Colvin. <gasps> That's who I'm gonna do in like a minute. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I'm. I'm wondering how much I should even say because I don't want to get into okay, too don't, much. Okay, don't say too much. Don't all say too I'm, much. I mean, basically, what? Okay, all I'll say then is that she was the the first person to refuse to move on the bus, mm-hmm. but she was young. She was 15, and she was well. Here you go. She was too dark skinned and poor uh, to be symp- to be a sympathetic plaintiff, and so the NAACP weren't big fans of. Um, Having her be the representative for this cause. Yeah, I'll, I'll cover this when I talk about it. But yeah. um, Ed Nixon actually wanted to put her wanted wanted her to be the face of it. But then other people at the NAACP were like, mm, "She's she's too dark skinned. She's too young." Which I can, I can, I understand. Not, I was gonna say, I, I it's not like I agree with it, but I understand where like if there was such deep racism no, that you they, would want them to hear. But at the same they time, they used strategy. They right. Absolutely it doesn't make it. Strategy. Doesn't make it right. It's it would have been right. great because she's a fifteen-year-old girl who had such. Yeah. She was the. She was the person who started the whole thing. Mm-hmm. She is the reason that Rosa Parks is Rosa Parks, who she is. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. She's the person that started this whole idea. Well, in fifty-five, there was an eighteen-year-old Mary Louise Smith mm-hmm. who was another youth council member who refused to move to the back of the bus and was arrested, but was also considered too poor and too young to be taken seriously. So then came Rosa, and um, it was an afternoon on December first, nineteen fifty-five. She was asked to give up her seat to a white person on her way home from work. She was then arrested. She states, "I had felt for a long time that I was 
that I was ever told to get up so a white person could sit that I would refuse to do so. Where's the... I wrote the number down of the bus because now it's it's in a museum, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. And they have, like, a light shining on the one seat that she was sitting in, which I think is beautiful. And what I think is cool is that, like, technically she moved, but she moved to the window seat. Which I think <laughs> is like, so badass. I'll slide over if you would like to yeah, sit next here, to me. They can, well, because the two... Uh, she was in the middle... So she was between these two other black riders, and they immediately got up and went to the back. And she just got up and slid over to the window seat. Right, like, like, if you want to sit down, here's a spot for you. Yeah. You can sit next to me. And what I think is amazing... Okay, so, like, I'm going to start kind of getting into this whole idea of the way that it's taught in public school systems in America and private school systems, is that she was a tired seamstress who Mm -hmm. didn't feel like giving up her seat. That was not the case at all. This is, as you've heard from her upbringing... This was something that she was born with. Like, her parents, her grandparents, her history was so deeply rooted in activism and standing up for what is right. And she actually knew, well, recognized the bus driver. Mm-hmm. His name was, name was James F. Blake. And um, he once asked her to leave the front entrance. So, like, she entered, paid her fare. And he was like, well, you can't enter through the front entrance. You have to enter through the back. So leave and then go through the back door to get to your seat. So she left. And then as soon as she stepped off the bus, he, like, sped away before she could get on the bus. Rude. And she just fucking stood there and, like, waited and was, like, determined to get him again he wants she was like i'm gonna sit on his bus mm-hmm. and waited and waited and waited and then also she knew that he had a pistol in his holster mm-hmm. so she knew that he was potentially dangerous. alabama alabama which really i mean upped the stakes so much um i mean another thing is that besides just having to move they could move the sign whenever they wanted they could completely remove the sign from buses if they wanted. There was really nothing protecting them from being able to ride the bus. Mm -hmm. It was really all in the bus driver's power, which is like, what? (laughs) Well, yeah, so you're basically at the mercy of how racist is your bus driver. Right. You're playing playing that game every time you get on the bus. Yeah, and um, so here's another another quote where once, uh, that when asked about moving, she said, people have asked me if it occurred to me that... I could be the test case for the NAACP was looking for. I did not think about that at all. In fact, if I had let myself think too deeply about what might have happened to me, I might have gotten off the bus. So she, you know, that's the thing is that it was calculated in a sense is that it was kind of ingrained in who she was as a person, but it wasn't a calculated, like, I'm going to get arrested and I'm going to start this movement and I'm going to do this. That's funny because that's not at all what I've, learned really <laughs> i learned something because that that's what i always thought i thought that well i mean you touched on it that's what we were taught in schools even going to an elementary school that was pretty multicultural in las vegas that is what we were taught it was just like it was like an she was a tired woman and she kind of like made this decision off the cuff you know oh no no but, i was totally taught that too i thought you meant you were talking about the fact that it, i thought you were saying that you learned that it was super calculated i i did Oh. Yeah. We Okay, we'll talk about it when we get to... Continue. Right, well, okay, well, I think that it was cal- calculated in the sense that she knew, she knew the repercussions, she knew what was happening, but I think in the instant, 
when you're at that point of making the decision whether to do something or to not do something. I don't think that was necessarily in Mm -hmm. her mind. I think that it was probably in her subconscious. It was ingrained in her as, as who she is. And she knew that the right thing to do would be to deny. So I think in some ways... I think it's probably true both ways, to be Mm -hmm. honest. But she does state that if, you know, if I had thought about it too hard, I wouldn't have done it. You know what I mean? Well, I believe that no matter what. Like, I believe that no matter if it was a calculated act that the NAACP decided to do from the beginning. Well, that's the thing is that they, what I've learned is that once she was arrested, they said that she was the right candidate to be the face of the movement. Okay. So it wasn't... What I read was that it wasn't like, you're going to get on this bus, you're going to say no, and then this is going to happen, and then that's going to happen. Like, it wasn't, like, a completely, like, strategized thing beforehand, but as it progressed, like, when it happened, she became the face Mm -hmm. of the... Anti-bus segregation. That's not the word, but you know what I'm talking about. The desegregation. Thank you. Yeah, I got (sighs) you. All right. So this event started the bus boycott that lasted 381 days, Mm -hmm. which is a long ass time, Um, and it was making it the country's first large-scale demonstration against segregation. And it uh, the boycott led to the end of segregation on public buses. I mean, there was still so much racism on the buses, but they could no longer segregate on the buses. It just began this uh, forward motion for change. Desegregation on, um, on the buses led to desegregation in other places and kind of kick-started the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Because that was in 1955, 1956. So, you know... When was Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech? Not until the 60s. So it, yeah. it was kind of like the first thing that sort of kickstarted this. Uh, well, it's funny because I was movement. just going to mention Martin Luther King Jr. Because mm-hmm. when she was arrested, it led her kind of closer to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And um, he was elected to help organize the boycott. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much because they were still so sexist. Um, I mean, his voice is just like. He's an amazing public speaker, that's for sure. Well, like, I think, did I, I told you this on the phone, but, like, when I was in, I think, fourth or fifth grade, my school was predominantly white. I went to a small Catholic school. We would have, like, one or two black children in Mm -hmm. class. And we did the I Have a Dream speech. And we all had to wear black or white And we stood on the school auditorium. It was at night, so it was, like, a special thing. And um, we all memorized certain sections of I Have a Dream and then said certain parts all together. And I was really good friends with this girl named Zanetta who lived down the street from me. And she was one of the only black children in my class. And I just remember her mom sitting in the front seat. She was holding like a camcorder recording it and just bawling she wasn't it wasn't even like she was sobbing no noise was being made she wasn't moving it was just this like still like she's moved tears moving down her face like i'm honestly like look i'm getting goosebumps right now yeah like i have legit goosebumps all over my body because it was such and that for me was a turning point in realizing the importance of his words and of the fact that I can have a friend who lives down the street that I can play with who looks different than me that I didn't really understand at that age. And whose family had a completely different experience. You know what I yes. mean? Um, well, she, well, and the thing, she came from a single mother. It was her and her little sister. Her house was actually, someone tried to burn their house down. 
and they had to move. Like, she, her reality was so different from mine, yet we became really good friends. And she only went to my school for a few years, but she, she was a, a really good friend of mine. And she taught me a lot about just like differences in people and things like that. And that was great. I'm, and they did it. What's cool is that they actually started doing that every year after that, the next, wow. the next fifth grade class and the next and the mm-hmm. next, it was kind of like this thing that they did during black history month. I wish that more schools would dive into that. Although really it was still scraping the surface on what we probably should have learned. Yeah. I mean, we could really get into, um, not right now, but like we could totally get into mm-hmm. the ways in which I feel, um, schools have really, let us down well yeah and the ways that they've really in martin luther king's case in particular have Mm -hmm. really whitewashed his legacy and and turned him into a collection of quotes to fit their agenda yeah but i think it's amazing that your school did what they did and i think well they were a private school and they could choose they could choose to do that and i think i think that would be really powerful for me even now to see a group of children um you know dressed in all black and white reciting that um reciting that speech because it's such a powerful speech and it's something that i would love to teach our young people free at last free at last thank Mm -hmm. god almighty like all of us saying that together so like (gasps) It's so emotional. Oh, like, it man. makes me emotional thinking about it right now. Yeah. You Do know? you did you ever watch The Proud Family growing up? Yeah. Do you remember that episode where she goes back in time? I do, but I don't. Oh. <laughs> I okay. remember it vaguely, but not okay. specifically. Okay. If any of you guys have not seen this episode of The Proud Family, she goes the, the Proud main Family character was Penny fucking bomb. So that was one of my favorite shows. It's so good. So she goes back in time to a student at a school when. Martin Luther King was, like, in its height, like, during the whole speech and everything, and she, like, one of her best friends is white, and, like, she can't talk to her, but they kind of want to be friends, and, like, she's seeing firsthand how much segregation, like, would have affected her if she was a kid at that time, and then she sees the Dr. Martin Luther King speech... And it's like, it was all a dream. And she wakes up and she has all of this newfound respect for her heritage and her background and yada, yada, yada. And like, oh, Disney Channel, you just like... I know. Hats, hats off. That was well, such a good Well, can we talk episode. about how bomb-ass the 90s were in regards to, like, black television? Oh, my like, God. So Moesha, good. sister, sister, Living smart single. Guy. We had Martin. We had the Proud family. So, <laughs> and, okay, not that we want to talk about him right now, but as a child <laughs> in the 90s, the Cosby show was the shit, man. The shit. Like, Bill Cosby's trash, but the Cosby show was, was fucking so great. Was so good. Um, and, like, the 90s were just lit in regards mm-hmm. to, like... Black they had shows. more black actors in doing shit. TV's it was great. Now. But like at the time, it was like we had so much awesome bottom shit. But like for me, the proud family was like fucking so it. good. Well, we were Loved kids, and like that was it was aimed towards us. Yeah, and it was freaking great. Oh, and it like it you know opened my mind to different music. I mean, yeah. Sugar Mama was my favorite. Mm. Okay, so we're in for another like hour and a half episode. <laughs> oh my god! All right, stay with us. So what I think is interesting is that she Rosa Parks, although they were like friends in a sense didn't really always agree with what Martin Luther King wanted as far as where the segregation movement was going to be going mm-hmm. also uh kind of going back to some of the sexism in their decisions of um how they wanted the story to be told and also going back to how we were taught it what's interesting is that the NAACP were the people that started the whole tired seamstress thing. Oh, yes, thing. I know. Because they wanted um, they her wanted to, to sound really sympathy. sympathetic. Yeah. Yes, and they were just so deeply sexist as well um, that they, they really wanted her to seem like this meek 
woman. Well, it was a very sexist time. Like, how else are you going to be able to a- appeal to sexist, racist white people in Alabama, or white men yeah. in Alabama? Oh, yeah, by saying this super powerful black woman was able to... This beautiful, light-skinned black woman mm. was just tired. And she, she was just, just so tired. Yeah, she just couldn't handle she's it. She's just like you guys. Yeah, she, she, she just doesn't have... Long yeah, day. she's just tired. She doesn't have, like, thoughts and ideas of her no. own. She's a woman. She was no. just... You know, her it's feet just hurt. It's just uh, her head is just a, a hat rack. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. just that's her all it is. Her feet just hurt, guys. Mm-hmm. Can't you relate to when your wives' feet hurt and they can't do work? Oh. So during this whole time, it became more and more unsafe for her to be living in Montgomery, Alabama. So she, she had moved to was it Texas? I don't, I don't, I don't remember. She don't moved know. somewhere. Or was it Vermont? It was some. It was somewhere else. And then she and well, she she landed in Detroit. We'll say that. Okay, she made her way. Showing, to Detroit. I'm showing my like holes in my research. No, it's so, okay. Look, man, we're just fucking. <laughs> look, we don't have a lot of time. No, we, <laughs> we squeeze in this when we can. I get up at three a.m. <laughs> to serve people coffee. My brain doesn't always work. Okay, so she moved to Detroit. She started helping John Coins win his election in Congress and became his secretary until she retired, actually. Um, And she focused on socioeconomic issues, including welfare, education, job discrimination, and affordable housing. And she really kept Coins grounded in the community with the concerns and activism. And she really moved from, like, a racist hub to another racist hub. Detroit is... That's the thing is funny is there was the great I, I think they they called it the great migration mm-hmm. where a lot of black families moved from the south to places like Detroit and I, I can't remember what I was watching but it was somebody who whose family had done that and I think they went to New York mm-hmm. and it's like basically you're trading in one kind of racism for another though right you know like you're you're trading blatant racism where they can actually arrest you or kill you right without consequence in the south to a just more like you can't of, have housing you can't you're right not, we're yeah. gonna push you out of neighborhoods we're gonna not give you it's a job it's gonna be really passive aggressive right yeah yeah and she traveled to support the Selma to Montgomery marches, yes. the Freedom Now Party, and the, I'm going to say this wrong, Lowndes County Freedom Organization. She befriended Malcolm X, who she regarded as her personal hero. Wow. Which I think is interesting because if she had riffs with Martin Luther King and really befriended Malcolm X, I a lot of people speaks, say that... I think it speaks a lot to where she was coming from. Well, she was super... Like, Martin Luther King, I think, was a little bit more passive-aggressive at times and wanted to be very... You know, his voice was very peaceful. He was very powerful, don't get me wrong, but Malcolm X was a bit more radical. He didn't really sit well with a lot of people. He did things that made people very angry. You know, it's funny, I was just having this conversation. Um, Martin Luther King was radical and also, like, pissed people off, but Martin Luther King was very strategic. Like, yes. whenever a lot of people are like, well, he was, was very politician like. It was, his, it in was a way. his religion. It was like that he wanted to be passive. And I'm like, while I believe that that played a big part in it, I also think that a lot of it was very strategic on his part to say, definitely. You're not going to fight back, not because. I solely just believe in being a pacifist, but also because because he thought that's maybe what would get the job done. It would get the job done yeah, because that's what because I if you fight back at all, look at Black Lives Matter. If yeah. you fight back at all, they're going to twist the narrative to make you. Oh, aggressive. you're crazy, right? angry. You're blah, aggressive. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But if you no, I agree. If there's video of you literally doing nothing 
and white people beating the shit out of you, the rest of the country can't close their eyes to that. Exactly. And they, they have to but if you're them. fighting back, if you're right, saying then they'll things, say, "Well, they they, well, they run on themselves." Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, well, that's kind of the difference between Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther yeah, King. Yeah, and I love Malcolm X too because Malcolm X was just like, "Fuck this, we don't have to take it anymore." Yeah, well, he was like a Nat Turner type that was totally. like, "We're gonna totally like burn this shit down." I oh god, I wish that the whole I can't even remember the actor's name, director's name from that movie. Denzel Washington, director. No, was, was who was the who was the who. There was the controversy of him raping women. Oh, God. What For was, Birth of a Nation? Birth of a Nation. A girl that I know is actually in it. She plays Catherine Turner mm-hmm. in it. Her name is Katie Garfield. Mm-hmm. Sweet, sweet musician girl. So adorable. And she's in She's in the movie actually quite a lot. And the movie is bad No, ass. I know it is, And I dude. didn't want to see it. And I, I waited until I could watch it at home because I didn't want to give it money in the I theaters. Know. It's, and it's a real catch-22. For, for me, honestly, it's really hard. I would watch it because it's great. I will watch it at home. I believe in the story. I'm so angry. Like, what? That movie could have fucking won everything. No, last I know. Year. And, it was and I'm, so good. I'm very, very angry that, that he had to be what he is. Yeah. Like, I had to do what well, he and what's did, crazy is that know? rape like, rape was a big topic in that as well. well which is like, how can you do that? Too. This is kind of sidebar. I know we're yeah. getting off track, but it, but it's it, all important stuff, and it all ties in. It really upset me, and it was interesting to read Gabrielle Union's um, mm-hmm. statement on it because she is a a rape survivor, a sexual assault survivor, yep. a violent rape survivor. Yep. And, um... Oh, can you imagine doing that scene? No, and they wrote it in. They didn't need to write it in. Mm. And she talked about that, about how she did it because she thought it was important. Like, it was an to important story it. to be told. But it was traumatic for her. And so they wrote it in, something that was very traumatic for her, where she had to relive this trauma that she had. And then she didn't know about their past. So then to find out that this how, other things, these other things that happened, it was... used she must, and must have And so felt. re-traumatizing yeah. for her, you know? <sighs> so it was very fraught for me whether or not to see the movie. I wanted to so badly. I feel like now that time has, has passed. passed and it's not... For me, the big thing was that, like, I don't want to support certain movies in the theater. Yeah, I agree. But if there's movies that... Especially because I knew someone who was in it... Right. ...that I really wanted to be able to... I will watch it at see home. ...see it. I will watch it It's at a home. very well-done movie, and I really think that last year it could have made such an impact. Right. It could have won there, awards. It could have done great there things. There is the other side of it where I know a lot of people in the black community were pretty upset because... Yes, what he did was terrible, but, but also... the movie was still important. The movie was still important, and also <laughs> how many white actors... I mean, that was the same year as Manchester by the Sea. And so it's like, how many like white yep. actors are basically getting away with this shit? And exactly. their movies are still like doing super totally. well and winning Oscars. And, and so it felt very much like, we're gonna... Fuck we're, Casey Affleck. Yeah, yeah let's can just I say have, that on the record. Can I have wine? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm gonna have to pee soon. So anyway, okay, let's, so let's continue. Back to it. So she she's working with John Coins. Mm. So, oh, so sexy. All right. Um, so housing was a big issue in Detroit for her and for others. I think her her reputation kind of preceded her a little bit when she moved to Detroit as well, and so things you know weren't easy for her. She was you know kind of verbally assaulted a little bit, and people um, knew who she was. People knew who she was, and, and a lot of people still didn't understand or agree with what she was you know. What she's standing for. So um, 
Well, she also took place in the Black Power Movement. She supported and visited the Black Panther School in Oakland. Word. Yeah, this whole last part is kind of just basically about all of the good that she did after. Great, no, her I want to know because I don't know. A lot so of it. in the seventies, she organized for the freedom of political prisoners, particularly cases of self-defense. So um, she helped a lot of political prisoners. And what's interesting is that she and her husband were both such prominent activists and made money. Made a lot of money doing. You know, they went everywhere and they spoke and they, you know, were given mo- a lot of money. But she gave all of the money that she made off of her visits and events that she did, she donated. Amazing. All of it. The only money that she kept was from her staff salary from working for coins. So she, they really didn't have a lot of money at all. Um, and they struggled a lot. Um, in the 80s, she co-founded the Rosa L. Park Scholarship Foundation for College Mount High School Seniors. In 1987, she co-founded the Rosa and Raymond Parks Institute for Self-Development, which runs the Pathways to Freedom bus tours, which teach young people the importance of civil rights in the Underground Railroad sites throughout the country. Aww. Yeah, and this was actually, her husband died. They both had a lot of stomach ulcers. Oh, probably stress. Yeah. I've had an ulcer before, and it was brought on by stress. Ugh. Yeah, so. I'm sure. Well, he, he passed away, and her brother passed away, who was her only sibling, kind of like one after the other. And then her mom had throat cancer, I believe. Oh, Rosa. I remember. Yeah, so she had a lot of weight on her shoulders as far as her family stuff went. Um, and she really just persisted and continued to do what she believed. And I feel like because the people in her life, I think, would want her to do that. Mm-hmm. I can see her really kind of pushing through a lot of that pain. Something that made me just, like, put my fist in the air with happiness <laughs> is that she served on the board and advocated for Planned Parenthood. Oh, wow. In the 80s. Yes. Like. That's amazing. This is a child of, like, she was born in what, 1913? She was born in 1913. Yeah. And she's like, fuck yeah, Planned Parenthood. Yeah. There's, like, the generation before us doesn't even agree with Planned Parenthood. Well, and from the black community, it's, it's interesting because Planned Parenthood... We could have a conversation about the, the history of Planned Parenthood. I support Planned Parenthood now. Um, the history of Planned Parenthood is pretty racist, <laughs> as, as is the history of many things. But uh, I think it's I think it's cool that she could see the positivity. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. Maybe, maybe it's something that she had to kind of push aside in order to see the greater good for maybe the generations well, to come. Well, and who knew where they were at at that point? You know right. I mean? In the I, 80s, I, I think would we love were, to learn more about I think we were pretty far advanced was. at that point. Right. When Planned Parenthood started, it was it was the right. the person who started Planned Parenthood was pretty uh, believed in eugenics and was pretty pretty racist. Everyone that starts know, anything is racist. Everyone's pretty problematic. <laughs> Your fave is problematic. We could have a whole song. I'm gonna <clears throat> cry. But right. but in the eighties, I think that that's freaking amazing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because probably so, by that point it was it was kosher. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, yeah. I mean, can you imagine like if she was young today, like, the good that she would be doing. Oh, my God. Oh Amazing. My God. We'd be friends with her. Well, she really didn't even die that long Rosa ago. would be our bestie. Bestie, Rosa. Um, so, at the age of 81, she was robbed and assaulted in her home in central Detroit. Um, <sighs> the guy's name was Joseph Skipper, and he claimed that he had chased away an intruder. So, he was like, give me a reward, and she gave him money, and then 
he asked for more money and she couldn't give him any more. So then he beat her up really bad. She had a lot of facial swelling. She was really bad. What she happened was to him? One years old. Uh, Do you know? Did he get yes. arrested? Yes. Um, he ended up uh, serving. I think. 10 to 15 years, I think I Good. read. Yeah, no, he went to jail, but she she was really... I mean, this is after... She was living alone. She's living by herself in Detroit, so God, she... that's so painful to think about. Yeah, an 81-year-old woman. Yeah, that's your like grandma. grandma. Yeah. You're thinking of your grandma being beaten up. She was very shaken up after this, and she moved to a secure high-rise apartment building, and guess which company paid for her rent? If it was fucking Trump, I'm going to be pissed. It's not Trump. No, okay. it's a good thing. It's fucking awesome. It's going to make you want to buy all of their pizza. Okay, go. It's a pizza company. Little a? Caesar? Yes! Yes! Because I knew that they were bombed. Little Caesars? Little Caesars! $5 pizzas! Guys, listen. Because I'm somebody who loved Papa John's pizza and had to stop eating it because that guy's a dick. But Little Caesars pizza, they Knows do... what's up. They do all kinds of good shit. Uh-huh. Like, they're actually, like, really, really cool. Yeah. Like, so cool. Okay, great. Okay. So, the guy's name, well, the Little Caesars owner is Mike Il- Iltich? Yeah. Il- Iltich? Something like that. Anyways, in 1994, the Ku Klux Klan applied to sponsor a portion of the United States Interstate 55 in St. Louis County and Jefferson County, Missouri, near St. Louis. Fucking of course. Okay, great. Near you. Great. Um, Fantastic. For cleanup, which allowed them to have signs stating that the section of the highway was maintained by the organization. So Are you fucking like, kidding me? Yeah, it was like, you know when it's like... <laughs> This is this highway no. is cleaned no. by the Ku Klux Klan. So basically, okay, but this is amazing. This is a big shout out of good to Missouri. They were like, "Fuck this nonsense! Can we call it the Rosa Parks Highway?" Okay, amen. So, Hallelujah. So they were like, since the state could not refuse the KKK sponsorship, the Missouri legislator voted to name the highway section the Rosa Parks Highway. It's such a slap in the face. Right? It's beautiful. When they asked how she felt about the honor, she is reported to have commented, it's always nice to be thought of. Oh my God, she's so cute. She's so fucking cute. Be my grandma. I love you, Rosa. Oh, my God. That's adorable. Uh, I think I'm going to start talking to her before I go to bed. I talk to my grandma. Dear Rosa. No, I do. Like, because I'm not a big believer. Like, my mom's going to hate me for saying this. I'm not a big believer in prayer. My mom is. But I believe in prayer in a different way where I like to have, like, internalized conversations with my grandma and grandpa. Well, you're putting out that positive energy regardless. Well, and sometimes it's just nice to have imaginary conversations with something that with people that I know really, really loved me mm-hmm. and that it just, like, kind of helps me fall asleep. I think I'm going to start having some conversations with Rosa before Hell I yeah. go She's going to be, like, my other grandma. Um, so Parks died of natural causes on October 24, 2005, at the age of 92, in her apartment on the east side of Detroit, which I think is great that it was just of natural causes. Mm-hmm. She was 92. Really chill way to go. She lived a full life. Um, she was laid in honor in the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol. She was the first woman and second black person to lie in honor at the Capitol. Oh, wow. Her funeral procession, damn. Like, I was reading, like, the whole, like, she was flown all over the place. She was laying in public for a while. Like, this lady was, like, on display for, <laughs> in tons of different cities. And so I'm I'm going to end with this, which I think is, is so simplistic and beautiful. She says, or Wikipedia told me. <laughs> Parks was interred between her husband and her mother at Detroit's Woodlawn Cemetery in the chapel's mausoleum. The chapel was renamed Rosa L. Parks Freedom Chapel in her honor. Parks had previously prepared and placed a headstone on the selected location with the inscription, 
Rosa L. Parks' wife, 1913. Oh, wow. So, like, After everything she'd done, she she just wanted to be recognized as a wife. In her mind, and how fucking humbling is that? In her mind, she's done all of these things. I have goosebumps again. She had gone through so much. And in her mind, she was just a wife who loved a man, who loved her family, who loved her people, and that was that. Yeah. Yeah. After everything she'd gone through, it really goes to speak to, like, who she is, because even me, like, who I am, I'd be like, I did all this shit. Like, like I fucking did this remember shit. Remember me. And it wasn't easy. So if yeah. you guys could take notice, you know yeah. what I mean? And she didn't do well, that. Well, what's crazy is, so I was gonna, like, I, I started another, like, bulleted section underneath that of all of, like, her awards and honors. Mm-hmm. That would have taken ten years. <laughs> yeah. Like... I'm Holy sure. shit! I was like, I'm gonna just gonna maybe I'll just do the highlights. Yeah. No, I think it's it's important to just acknowledge that like she was more than a little old lady who was tired on a bus. She was more you than know? a seamstress. I mean, the destiny that that woman had mm-hmm. from birth till death to be who she was to me is astounding. Yeah, she agreed. was she was born to be who Great. we know yeah. as Rosa Parks. Yeah. She was completely set up to be that person, and that's what is amazing to me and why I wanted to focus on her, because I knew that there was more to this woman than what I learned. Yeah. And, um... Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know. It was as exhausted as I've been this week and fed up at least like reading these things has and talk and especially talking about it now has really like brought into perspective yeah the things that <clears throat> I am doing or can be doing or kind of put into perspective kind of some of the stressors in my life too and the bullshit that I feel like I put up with on a day-to-day basis where I feel like maybe possibly the things that I've been through are going to be something that might help another person. Yeah. Yeah. I will say doing this podcast has been kind of like, so when we're recording this right now, we have just put up our first two episodes. So we're just kind of getting the ball rolling right now. And, um, so I'm going to take this moment to say thank you to everybody who's been, um, super supportive of us and helpful. And, um, 
not to take a turn, but I, I want to give a shout out to the girls from. Uh, I was just gonna Two say girls, this. One ghost. <laughs> they have helped us so yes. much. Sabrina, oh my God. Sabrina and Corinne from um, Two Girls One Ghost. If you haven't listened to their podcast, they tell ghost stories, and it's awesome. It's so good, and you should definitely go do it. And they've been super helpful and supportive to so, us. Oh my God, we knew um, nothing. We were like, yeah. how do we get this up yeah. on Apple Podcast? Talk, talk about sister solidarity. They've been totally. kind of like our our sister solidarity yeah. support system. So go listen to them and support them. And, and rate and subscribe for them. Um, but this podcast has been so wonderful for me, even though, me too, I mean, I work a 40-hour work week. I'm, I'm doing a lot of things on the side. I'm in a show right now. I'm, I'm running around like crazy. Um, and this podcast has really helped to, like, center me. I love the time that I take researching things and and learning new things and planning what we're going to do next. It almost kind of feels like self-care in a way. It does. Even no, though it, it is business. To it, me, it, it is feels, self-care. Yeah, it, because it's, you know, for me, like, I'm all about um, always trying... I'm, I'm never going to be satisfied with who I am as a person and not in a way that's, like, you know... In hate, a good way. Hateful. In a very good yeah, way. Yeah, like, I always want to want to be better. And Strive I mean, for more and do more and be yeah, better. Well, I'll take the moment, too. I was just thinking today where I was just like, God, I would go... Like, I think I maybe saw you once or twice a year. I know. We barely ever saw each other, really. We see really. each other once a week I know, now. which is freaking great. And I message you every... I, I message, know. Okay. I talk to I you every day. I message Keegan so much, and I hope you know that when I... Like, I don't expect you to answer right away, but when I think of things, I have to text you. No, I love it. Okay, good. Because I'm like, even on her boyfriend's birthday, I'm like, fuck, I'm texting her so much. It's oh, her boyfriend's birthday. That's fine. Um, But, like, I'm so excited that, like, the people that I consider to be, like, my true, my true friends are back in my life. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Oh, right okay, now. so we're gonna go have a cry break, and when we come back, we will um, talk about Claudette Colvin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hey there, listeners. Keegan here. Did you know that our girl Madigan is coming out with her own adult coloring book? The inappropriate coloring book is chock full of feminist slogans, curse words, and potty humor, all framed by Madigan's awesome hand-drawn designs. The full book isn't available just yet, but if you'd like to purchase individual prints or just check out what's to come, follow the Instagram page at the inappropriate coloring book, or check out her Etsy page at etsy.com slash shop slash be more inappropriate. So guys, something horrible just horrible. happened. Horrible, and Keegan's about to cry. Keegan might start crying. <laughs> I it's won't okay cry if you have I won't to cry. cry. But if you cry. have to cry, you can cry. Oh God. Um. So we just, she <clears throat> just did a beautiful, beautiful piece about Claudette Colvin. Oh that man, was moving and created such great. We conversation. were on a roll. I thought we recorded that whole thing, and we went back to check, and it didn't record. It didn't record for like thirty-five minutes. So. <laughs> So, we're going to redo it, and as we are doing it, we may say, oh, this is when I said that thing, or you said that thing, just so you know, because we want to keep you in the loop, but you know what? We're human, and human error is beautiful, and there is nothing wrong with making mistakes, and we're going to own up to it. You know what? I didn't hear enough about Claudie before. Okay. I need to hear... Can you just tell me that story again? All right. Again? We're going to do the rundown. All right. Okay. Get ready because this shit's about to get real. Yeah. Okay. Buckle down, listeners. Get a snack, maybe. Go get, get some, some water. If you want to be like us, some we're wine. eating garlic and herb pita chips and red wine. And and drinking some uh, Cabernet. What was the wine called again? It was called... Liberation. Oh, it's called Liberation. I bought wine called uh, Liberation... 
um, liberated, sorry, liberated, liberated. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Funny, I texted Keegan the other day and I was like, can I write off wine because we drink so much yes. of it when I record? Yes. <laughs> Get you a tax lady who will do that for you. <laughs> you guys need wine for this? Got it. Got it. You it's part it. of our job expenses. Okay. So, Auntie Claudie, as we have come to call her. Yes. It's Grandma Rosa and yes, Auntie Claudie. And Auntie Claudie. Um, Claudette Colvin was born on September 5th, 1939 in Montgomery, Alabama. She was adopted. I don't know much about her situation or why she was adopted. Well, um, and something that I asked in the first episode is I wanted to know if it was a black or a white family that Oh, and it, it was a black family. So she was adopted by a black family. And in 1955, at the age of 15, Claudette was attending Booker T. Washington High School and relied on public transportation to get to and from school. So she took the public bus to get to and from her home and school. Mm -hmm. On March 2nd, 1955, she was riding the city bus home from school in the colored-only section, as usual, when the bus became overcrowded and all the white-only seats were taken. So as Madigan said when talking about Rosa Parks, there was a white section and a colored section. If the white section became full, they would then ask people in the colored section to get up and move. Mm -hmm. Or Um, leave. Or leave, yeah. Or stand in the back. Um, as more white people began boarding the bus, the bus driver began ordering a group of black women, including Colvin, to get up and stand in the back of the bus. Colvin refused, and the bus driver called the police to have Claudette removed. When the police arrived, she still refused to get up and stand. Our girl. Which, that's our girl, Claudie. So, the police had to actually, like, grab her and physically drag her off of the which, bus. Which, honestly, just the image of that in my mind is so, like, empowering, but in my mind, it's a it's heartbreaking to yeah. picture somebody being so aggressive towards such a young girl. A child, and having seen, we, we know, we talked about this before, but, like, like having seen a picture of her, yeah, she was such a like. Oh my, can you imagine like, that girl being just, picked up and physically pulled off? Yeah, of us? this is not a girl who looks like a tough broad. She is no. like she's got these sweet little kind of like cat eye glasses, very like bookish looking, and and small looking. Like small, she, she didn't look like just a... sweet. Like every math tutor you've ever mm-hmm. had. Like anyone yeah. who's like, oh, do you need help? I'll help mm-hmm. you after class. Sweet, sweet girl. Yeah. As they were doing this, Claudette was quoted as having said, this is my constitutional right. Love her. So that is what she was saying as they... I mean, I'm sure that's all she could think to say as they were dragging her off the bus, you know, that it was unconstitutional for them to force her to get up and move. But what a statement. The fact that she was so steadfast in what she Mm -hmm. had to say. This is my constitutional right. Yeah. Madigan at 15 probably wouldn't have said that. No way. No way. (laughs) Keegan at 15 probably wouldn't have done this at all no. to be honest you know <laughs> colvin later went on to say that on the ride to the police station the officers harassed and berated her a 15 year old child about the size of her breasts so can you imagine having already been beaten down and then have somebody on top of it completely dehumanize you because of mm-hmm. your body and how powerless you would feel being in the backseat of a police vehicle with two white police officers in 1955, which, I mean, we were talking about how this this sort of thing still happens even today, and Eric Holtzclaw, who um, sexually harassed, assaulted, and raped 13 black women in, in poorer neighborhoods where he was a police officer, just like last year, I think he was convicted and sent to prison, which is a huge deal that he was even convicted and sent to prison. But it is a testament to how people who want to do these kinds of things, who are in positions of power, will always, they still do it, but 
even back in the day, it's like, of course they're going to do it to people who are underprivileged and don't have the ability to really, like, stand up for themselves. Yeah. You're going to do it in communities where they don't have a lot of power. Yeah. You know, so to do it to a 15-year-old girl who you right. know you have absolute power over... Um, okay, so by the time that, uh, when they finally got Colvin to the station, the officers charged Colvin with disturbing the peace, violating civil rights laws, which we had a good laugh about. Right, um, wait, but okay, so civil, but like, civil rights was about, like, equality for not the for black them. community. What, nope. what was the civil rights for them, though? I don't know, but they charged her with violating civil rights laws because probably the laws that were in place stated that... When, when you think of the words, like, civil, it just means, like, keeping the peace Keeping the bit. peace, but for them, maybe keeping the peace meant separating... That, that she had to oblige to what they were saying. Right. Like, yeah. you are disturbing the peace. You know, you mean, like, this is these are the laws that are in place, so you're not abiding by those laws. Yeah. So, okay. I'm sure that that's what they were saying. Yeah. Um, and assaulting a police officer. Bitch. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Fuck that police officer. Um, <laughs> he deserves I, I hope he got slapped across the face. Yeah. Um, when word spread about what Claudette had done, people began writing the NAACP about how bomb-ass Claudette was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, letters were pouring in, and who read these letters? Who read them, Keegan? The secretary of the NAACP Montgomery chapter, Rosa Parks. Grandma Rosa! Grandma Rosie read the letters. Grandma! So Rosa and Claudette became friends, and Claudette would even um, stay with Rosa Parks whenever she would go to NAACP meetings. Which makes me so happy. Yeah, it's so sweet. Um, Rosa actually came and met up with Claudette um, at her home and Mm -hmm. talked to her about everything that kind of happened. I love that. It's such a personal, like, beautiful thing. Kind of took her under her wing. It was very, like, like, different generations, but also at the same time kind of recognizing that, like, look, we're going through the same Mm -hmm. thing, and these are... Because I feel like a lot of times with older people, too, they're like, you don't understand. And, like, I even catch myself doing that with, like, younger kids. Oh, me too. You don't get it. You'll never get it. But, like, the fact that she's able to kind of say, look, you're going through the same heartbreak that I am. I think she was able to acknowledge what an amazing thing that was to do. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of how difficult it would have been to do. This is a young girl, and Rose Parks, who, who had been through so much racism, but also sexism in her life, to see a young girl do this, I feel like probably really stood out to her. Yeah, yeah, and probably made her feel, like, warm and fuzzy inside. Exactly. So they became friends, and they would spend a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. Um, so after about nine months, Edie Nixon, who was the president of the local NAACP Are chapter... Are you sure it's not Ed? You can, <laughs> look, you can call him Ed if you want. Eddie, Edie, I'm not going to call him Ed, because Ed is, like, my grandpa's name. <laughs> no. Um... But he was uh, the president of the local NAACP chapter. He decided that he wanted to use Colvin and her incident on the bus to kickstart a bus boycott to fight desegregation. Mm-hmm. However, some of the members thought that Claudette was too young and too yeah. dark-skinned to garner sympathy from white people in Alabama. So, and this is what we talked about, they staged the now-famous bus incident with Rosa Parks. Yeah, this is something that we that we talked about in the never-to-be-heard, non-recorded part of this episode. Um, well, <laughs> the lost I, episode. I, I, I brought up the question of, does that lesson what Rosa Parks did? And I don't think had... so. I don't think it lessens what she did, because... What I have written here is that she deliberately sat in the white section of the bus. Mm-hmm. So Claudette, so Claudette 
was sitting in the colored section of the bus. She was doing yes. everything that they told her to do. Well, but really, and like, they that's still... kind of what I read with Rosa, too, is that it was like, oh, there were enough white people on that they had to, like, move people back. But I probably read that wrong. I don't know. that. I, I don't know. What you're saying makes more sense to me, to be I think honest. they deliberately put her in the white section because right. they knew that they could get her kicked off that way. Right. You know? Um, but, but it confuses me because she's specifically quoted as saying, like, you know, what I said earlier in the episode, if I had thought about the ramifications of... of you know my actions. Maybe I wouldn't have gone through with it. Where that's well, but where she it may seems not have. She may not have completely understood the ramifications of her actions. You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. She is, may I think not she have knew known. the ramifications. Because what she's saying is, I know that this could end really badly for me, but I couldn't even think about it at the time because if I did, I I maybe would have would have would have gotten off. It's exactly what I would have done. Even if I'd signed up to do something like this, if I knew. When I was in the moment, I probably would have backed out. Yeah. You know, because I'm not that brave. I don't think I'm that brave. I think I would have been intimidated and scared, and I would have moved. And I think that that's most people if they think yeah. too hard about something. So maybe she was just saying, like, I had to not think about it to do yeah. what I had to do. But it's still, I wish, I wish that in those quotes and in those things that she had said that there had been more... Um, mm-hmm. recognition it, of yeah. all that bitch. 15. It may have been something where they thought it might lessen the power of the movement. I get it. I yeah. understand. Yeah. I wish. I wish that you it's know, shitty. But, I, but also, I wonder. I wonder if in her in her memoir or anything she mentions. Maybe Claudette. you know. Maybe I don't know. I'll have to but, look it up. But you know, I just hope that like because it's you know the fact that she would go and like to Claudette's house and like that's such like yeah awesome like good sister girls supporting girls yeah. you know and so it makes me sad to think that maybe that. Yeah. Wasn't always the case. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was larger than the two of them, I think, was the problem. You know, but... Well, and sometimes you do have to sacrifice for the greater good yeah. of something. Yeah, Which I think... Um, I think that was very much the case here. Oh, I think with Claudette, yeah. she just wanted change. And whatever that meant, she was willing to go along with it. Which, for me, is such an, such an amazing thing mm-hmm. to look up to. Because I feel like... Kind of like with uh, what I said about Rosa Parks' like uh, tombstone, mm-hmm. where it just said wife. You know, it's kind of like, I don't need the recognition of everything, just... Yeah, I mean, it, it's still hard, as, like, we'll see here. Claudette was informed about the bus boycott to support Rosa Parks via a flyer. Yeah. So she never got a phone call from her friend, Rosa Parks, to tell yeah. her that this was going to happen. She was never given any kind of, like, heads up yeah. about it. So that was, I'm sure, very hard for her, and I think she was probably very hurt that, like... I want to know the truth so bad. I want to know if it was, like, did Rosa Parks sit there and then they decided to choose her as being the Well, she was there all the time, so it may have been... And I'm sure she had a relationship with Claudette. They would go to these meetings together, so I'm sure it was a natural decision for them to make, like, when they were trying to decide who should do this. I know. Um, I I just wish I knew. Yeah. So... Um, or was it something that was just very organic and happened naturally? I, don't I know. feel like maybe it was something that was kind of like organic based I mean, on maybe it their was situation. Both? It could have been some of both, you know. But around this time, when when Claudette found out that they were doing this bus boycott for Rosa Parks, she found out that she was pregnant at fifteen and um, was kicked out of high school Girl, for being honey pregnant. Baby. I know. So she moved to Birmingham after she became pregnant. And a few months later, Fred Gray, who was one of the only black lawyers in Alabama at the time, found Claudette and was like, 
and this is what I wrote here, and was like, hey, you want to help me sue the state of Alabama because segregation is unconstitutional as hell? And Claudette was like, yeah. So she tested... <laughs> that you just write... Yeah, she was like, great to me. Yeah, I think so. Um, so she testifies along with four other plaintiffs in Browder versus Gale, and on June 13th, 1956, three judges determined that the state and local laws requiring bus segregation in Alabama were unconstitutional. The Love case, it. yes, Queen. Um, the case went to the United States Supreme Court, which upheld the ruling on December 17th, 1956. Colvin was the last witness to testify. Three days later, the Supreme Court issued an order to Montgomery and the state of Alabama to end bus segregation, and the Montgomery bus boycott was called off. So while Rosa Parks kind of kick-started the bus boycott, she was Claudette like, Colvin came it. in and finished it. She ended that shit. She came in and was How like... beautiful. Which is amazing. And then after that, it's she... So po- it's so poetic. Yeah, it totally is. She left Alabama and moved to New York because she could not find mm-hmm. uh, work in Alabama because of her notoriety. She was kind yeah. of known as a troublemaker now for, for having I mean, New York this. probably, too, at the time was... I mean, I'm sure More progressive that, than Alabama. Yeah, yeah. totally. So she moved to New York and became a nurse and um, lived out the rest of her life as a nurse. She was, you know, she was totally just like that nurse that you want in every situation that like gives you an extra lollipop and like (laughs) gives you a nice like little squeeze when you're getting a shot. She looks like it in her own age. Totally. totally Well, it's funny because I talked about this. We had like I needed to see what this girl looks like. I don't know. For me, whenever anyone talks about a a person, I really want to know what they look like. And so I looked up a photo of her and there's this really beautiful painting of her where it's like, I still have it pulled up. It's like a turquoise background with a painting of her at 15. And then if you look closely, there's like an etched quote of her and I can't really even read it. So something like as a teenager, I kept thinking, why don't the adults around here just say something? Say it so they know we don't accept segregation. I know then and I know now that when it comes to justice, there is no easy way to get it. You can't sugarcoat it. You have to take a stand and say, that is not right. And I did. The reason I'm reading it like I'm just learning how to read is because it's really, it's almost the same color. We'll as share the background. it. We'll share it. It's a, but the painting itself is gorgeous and it's so well done. And I love the color turquoise. So the whole background of it is really cool. This is what it looks like. You can yeah, no, it's super pretty. We should, we'll definitely share it. It's really cool. I saved it already. So when we post the episode, we'll post the yeah. picture. It's so beautiful. I, oh God, I wish I could paint like that. Me too. Um, okay, Colvin says she has now largely made peace with being almost completely forgotten in history and overlooked in favor of Rosa Parks, saying, I don't think there's room for many icons. Even so, her family have been fighting to receive recognition for for Claudette to keep history from forgetting about her. Mm Mm-hmm. The Smithsonian Institution and its National Museum of African American History and Culture were called out by Colvin and her family, asking for Colvin to be given more prominent mention in the history of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. The museum has a section dedicated to Rosa Parks, which Colvin doesn't want taken away, but her family's goal is to get the historical record right and for officials to include this part of history. As it should be. I mean, honestly, like, just fucking mention her. Yeah. She she's obviously a person she who is so need selfless. She doesn't to be hi- highlighted. Just, no, like, make sure like, she's, like, this is what happened first. Rosa thank God Park her got the family, idea for her. Thank God her family is uh-huh. there. Because she's obviously willing to kind of be, like... 
But well, if, what is, if it was what my mom quote, or my grandma, what is the quote she said? Where she she was like, said, "There, uh, I don't think there's room for many icons." So she's saying, like, I can't be an icon and Rosa can't be an icon. They had to pick one and they Doesn't picked her. Doesn't that make you want to cry? It's horrible because she did it first. And, like, I'm not saying you always have to get the recognition, but I am saying we need to recognize that this person was brave and young and did this and was thing. was the catalyst yeah, for Yeah, for things. this incredible this thing to happen. This didn't exist. Wouldn't it, exist without her. No. You know? There'd be no Rosa Parks without no. Aquatic Colvin. Um, well, and it makes me feel bad for um, Mary Louise Smith, mm-hmm. too, who is the girl between And I think, actually, Claudette. when I was reading quotes by her family, I think they actually ma- they mentioned yeah, her. Yeah, she was only her. 18. You yeah, know, they, they did mention so her, and they said there would be no civil rights movement without Claudette and Mary Louise and, and these other people who, yeah. who are footnotes in history. But thank God, I mean, I don't want to say <laughs> thank God for us, you know what I mean? But, like, thank God there's people that, like are aware of this That's why I really, really wanted to do this, because I was just like, it was something that I didn't know and about. And that's why I totally guessed that you were going to do it, too, because you said that it goes along with what I was doing, and as I was learning more and more about Rosa Parks, like, it was actually today when I was taking my nap, I was like, she's doing Claudette Cole. Yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, oh, we w- I wanted to mention that she wasn't even invited to the Smithsonian um, when they formally dedicated the African American Museum. So fucked up. Mm-hmm. Which opened in September of 2016. Uh, I remember seeing the videos of uh, Obama going to that. And and then in 2017, at the urging of Reverend Joseph Rembert, Colvin was honored by the Montgomery Council. March 2nd was named Claudette Colvin Day in Montgomery, Alabama. Mayor Todd's... It's not even national. Nope, it's just a local holiday. I hate it. <laughs> she doesn't get a national holiday. She's like, here, we'll give you a, we'll give you a, a local, local holiday. holiday. Uh-huh. You can get a free ice cream cone on <laughs> National Claw that day. You probably don't even get school off. That's no. it. There's some things that... What am I thinking of? There are certain like national holidays that we don't get school off for. No, I know. I don't get work off for President's Day or but anything we get, like that. But we get school off for and work off for like Columbus Day. Actually, I have to go to work on Columbus Day, which is... That's true. Whatever. I mean, Starbucks well, is actually, open 360 Can we mention that in LA, Columbus mm-hmm. Day no longer exists? Pretty much, yeah. It is now Indigenous People's Day. Love it. Yes. And there's some people that are like, you're so bitter. Oh, fuck off. Like, fuck off. I don't give a fuck. Fuck <laughs> off. Okay, fuck sorry. Um, so March 2nd is now Claudette Colvin Day in Montgomery, Can Alabama. Can we please celebrate it when Absolutely. on the podcast? Okay, yes. good. March 2nd. I'll, I'll actually be in New Mexico, but we can celebrate. That's fine. That's fine. We'll, can we record I'll call a you. phone conversation? Yes. Um... Mayor Todd Strange presented the proclamation and, when speaking of Colvin, said, She was an early foot soldier in our civil rights, and we did not want this opportunity to go by without declaring March 2nd as Claudette Colvin Day Mm -hmm. to thank her for her leadership in the modern-day civil rights movement. Rembert said, I know people have heard her name before, but I just thought we should have a day to celebrate her. I haven't heard her name. I hadn't either. Um, Colvin could not attend the proclamation due to health concerns. Baby girl. I know. So all these years went by, all this time went by, and she couldn't even go when they finally decided to recognize her. But you know what? But it she happened. didn't need it. And that she wasn't what she did it. it for. She and she had peace within herself. Right. And I read another I actually done. read another thing that said that she had made peace with the fact that she wasn't getting a recognition for it, mm-hmm. but she was just happy that her children and her grandchildren could sit anywhere on the bus that they wanted. So Auntie Claudie doing it. Auntie Claudie. Doing it for all of us. 
Oh, you know? I'm going to chat with Auntie Claudette. So that's my story on, on, on Claudette. Oh, Claudette, you beast. I love I know. you. Um, I love so you. I know we're running a little long on this, so yeah. we should probably wind it up. We'll wrap um, up. We're going to be those annoying people that remind you to comment and share on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us at, at, at Angry Feminist. Do you say at when you're talking about At a- Angry Neighborhood Feminist on Instagram. Keegan knows it. And then go ahead, if you would like to send us an email, please feel free. Our email address is neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. If you have any comments about Rosa Park or Claudette Colvin that you didn't hear on this episode that you want to make a part of our education and our knowledge, please feel free to send us emails. Um, DM us. DM us. Slide mm-hmm. real good into those DMs. Yeah, I want to know. Real snugly into those real DMs. Real snugly. We'll just be like a cocoon in those DMs. <laughs> we love making new friends. We love having new followers. Uh, we're very appreciative for the people who have supported us, the strangers who have supported us so far. Yes, absolutely. Um, y'all are wonderful. Yay! Yay! Love. Okay, well, we love you guys and um, rage on. Rage on. Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of the Go Kid Go Network. Do your kids love wacky worlds, superheroes, and inventing? Of course they do. That's why our shows Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow are set in Pflugerville, the nonstop fun and adventure universe where imagination, creativity, STEM, and positive role models abound. Join the Pflugerville fun by searching for Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.